Howdy everybody, Dr. Andy Woods here. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. I'm back with my friend, colleague, fellow elder, associate pastor, Dr. Jim McGowan. You are watching Pastor's Point of View number 265. Today is July the 28th, 2023. We have a prophecy update for you today. If you look at the screen there, you'll see our eight-part outline that we're going to try to work through. And of course, what we don't finish um, today, we're, we're going to try to finish next week, Lord willing. Absolutely. So let's just jump right in here, Brother Jim, to the nation of Israel. Israel, of course, is the centerpiece of all divine activity in the last days. And so any prophecy update, I think that's worth its salt, would always start with where God starts, right? That's a good idea. Uh, the nation of Israel. And God, um, through the... Uh, prophet uh, Moses, all the way back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 43, this would be 1,500 years before the time of Christ, gave an interesting prediction concerning the land of Israel, yes. concerning when it would prosper. And what does that verse say? All right, we're going to be reading Leviticus 26, 43 from the New American Standard 95 update. Here it is. For the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. So when it says uh, to make up for their Sabbaths, you know, Israel had a... a Going back to the book of Leviticus, I think it's in chapter 25, the prior chapter, they're supposed to work the land mm -hmm. for uh, uh, six years, roughly, and then allow the land to have its Sabbath rest for an entire year. Yes. And, and they just said, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah. We'll do things our own way. Yeah. And God said, okay, well, every year you don't allow the land to have its rest. I'll kick you out of the land <laughs> so the land will have its rest. Yeah. So when it makes reference here about making up for its Sabbaths, it's speaking of all of the time the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are outside their own land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what the prophecy specifically predicts is the land, every year that Israel is outside the land, will be desolate. Right. It will not prosper. Right. In fact, it will not prosper again until the Jewish people are brought back into the land. Correct. So I think God has designed the land of Israel to only be agriculturally prosperous and productive when the Jewish people mm -hmm. are inside their own homeland. Yes. And guess what, Brother Jim? That's exactly what's happened. Sure um, is. When you go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, verse 12, it indicates that once the Jews are back in the land, the land would prosper again. What does that verse say? Ezekiel thirty-eight twelve: to capture spoil and to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited, and against the people who are gathered from the nations, who have acquired cattle and goods, who live at the center of the world. Now this is talking about the great Gog, Magog invasion, Ezekiel 38 and 39, more on that later. But here it's revealing the motive of the invaders. Correct. And they're yes. coming after Israel's wealth. 
So Israel can't have wealth in her land unless she returns to her land and the land begins to prosper yes. after a time of desolation. Yes. That's what prophecy seems to indicate. And then when you go to the next verse, Ezekiel 38, verse 13, you see a reinforcement of that. Ezekiel 38, 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil? So silver and gold, spoil, that's why they're coming, these attackers against Israel. So yes. it's a pretty simple equation. Jewish people outside of the land, it's going to be desolate. Jewish people back in the land, and of course we saw them go back into their land declaring their national independence uh, May 14th, 1948. Yes. Jewish people in the land, the land will prosper again. Mm. And so when you see today a prosperous Israel, essentially what you're seeing is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Mark Twain visited that part of the world in 1867. This is why the Jewish people were not there. And he wrote about it in his book called Innocence Abroad, published 1869. And he describes the desolation of that land. Yes. Uh, what does that quote say? All right, quoting, A desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds. A silent, mournful expanse. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Israel, or the Jewish people outside of the land, desolation. Yes. That's what Mark Twain saw. But is, isn't it interesting that when Israel went back into the land, the land started to prosper to the point Indeed. where... We have this slide here showing Israel's gross domestic product. It's amazing. Um, look at how huge her gross domestic product is relative to some of her neighbors. You yes. know, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon. I believe we have a slide on that. Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, um, uh, Syria, uh, etc. So the nation of Israel clearly has started to prosper again, just That's like right. God you know, said what happened. Now, there's even um, a, an interesting verse um, given in Deuteronomy 33, verse 24. These are the words of Moses just prior to his death as right. he's speaking blessings over the various tribes of Israel. And he says something about the tribe of Asher. What does he say there? Deuteronomy 33, 24. Of Asher, he said, more blessed than sons is Asher. May he be favored by his brothers, and may he dip his foot in oil. So oil there, minimum, I think would be wealth. And it's interesting that when you look on a map, we don't have a map of it today, but when you look at a basic Bible map and you see the tribal territory of Asher, it's... Um, sort of up there in the north um, western part of the nation and it's really close to the Mediterranean Sea. Yes. And so what's very interesting is 
Israel has discovered natural gas in the Mediterranean, yes. which is making her very, very wealthy as we speak. That's right. And this is an outworking of Bible prophecy, Just we amazing. believe. Um, this is actually f furnishing the economic incentive for the invasion of the last days. That's right. And, and, and this whole pattern, you know, when you're seeing Israel in her land and prosperous again, it's something God laid out, you know, long in advance. <laughs> yes. And the land will be desolate. Um, that's been the case, as is evidenced by Mark Twain's quote, and then it'll prosper again when the Jewish people go back in, post-1948. So anyway, we have this article here from the thetimesofisrael.com, July 16th, 2023, and it says four groups submit bids for new natural gas exploration tender offshore Israel. What is that about? Israel announced on Sunday that four consortia of companies have submitted bids in a new tender to explore and discover additional offshore natural gas fields. Israel Energy and Infrastructure Ministry said that four groups consisting of nine different companies submitted six proposals as part of the tender process to obtain licenses for natural gas exploration in Israel's economic waters. Out of the nine companies, five are new players in the Israeli market, the ministry said, without disclosing the names of the bidders. Since Israel first discovered natural gas fields off its Mediterranean coast more than a decade ago, the country has emerged as a gas exporter. The natural gas operations have put the country on a path to energy independence mm. and have shielded it from the worst of the energy crisis sparked by the Russian war on Ukraine this year in a region with few natural resources. Major offshore discoveries, including the Leviathan Field, one of the world's largest deep water gas discoveries, which contains an estimated 22 trillion cubic feet of gas, have attracted large oil and gas explorers, such as U.S. energy giant Chevron, owner of Noble Energy, to partner with local companies. Quoting, energy is power, and the revenues generated for the local economy will be reinvested for the benefit of Israeli citizens, stated Energy Minister Israel Katz. Continuing his quote, the current process will increase competition and stability in supply to the local energy market, strengthen Israel's geopolitical position in the region and Europe, and enable the signing of additional natural gas export agreements to turn Israel into an energy bridge mm. connecting East and West. It's pretty astounding. I Phenomenal. mean, an estimated 22 trillion cubic feet of gas, mm -hmm. um, Israel connecting the East and the West, um, Israel becoming, you know, known as the one of the great nations of the earth, uh, showcasing their energy independence. I mean, they've <laughs> certainly come a long way, haven't they, from the Mark Twain days? I think maybe they, <laughs> maybe the United States needs to take a little, uh, you know, from what Israel's doing. You know, they're becoming more energy independent, and we're becoming less, or, or more dependent, rather. Yeah, maybe we ought to take a, a cue card there we go from uh, god's elect nation yes uh concerning uh, domestic um, oil production and 
drilling and all of that kind of stuff. Right. But um, this is a this is a, um, most people would just read a headline like that and it wouldn't really mean much to them. But to us that understand prophecy, it means everything. Yes. It's an outworking of what God said would exist in the last days. Don't yep. what what God is saying is don't just expect Israel to be born again nationally in unbelief. That's happened, but but expect her to become phenomenally wealthy, and yes. we're seeing a lot of evidence of that. Prophetically significant. Yes. So with that being said, let's move to our second area here, and this has to do with Saudi Arabia. Um, this, again, relates to the famous or infamous Gog-Magog invasion spoken of in Ezekiel 38 and 39, but there's an often overlooked passage in verse 13, and what does that say? Ezekiel 38:13 Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish which uh, with all its villages will say to you have you come to capture spoil have you assembled your company to seize plunder to carry away silver and gold to take away cattle and goods to capture great spoil now, Sheba and Dedan is, we believe, is Saudi Arabia for a lot of reasons. Yes. You'll notice our map here. We've got the various invaders in the Gog-Magog invasion. We have Saudi Arabia there circled. You'll notice that unlike the other invaders, Saudi Arabia has no arrow moving from Saudi Arabia to Israel. Right. And the reason for that is Ezekiel 38, verse 13. I mean, God is very clear that Saudi Arabia won't invade. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, she has some sort of reason. We'll talk about that in just a second. But all Sheba and Dedan do as this invasion is happening is they stage sort of a lame protest. Yeah. They don't seem to do anything to stop the invasion, but it's obviously they're one of the few Middle Eastern countries that doesn't like what's going on. Correct. And so the question is why? We've always wondered why. And lately we've been receiving more and more <laughs> information from the newspapers answering that why question. Um, one of the things that's happened is the Abraham Accords. That's right. Um, Saudi Arabia is the next to fall under the auspices of the Abraham Accords. Most analysts agree. The Abraham Accords are not peace agreements, but they're normalization agreements where Israel opens up to Saudi Arabia or any other Islamic nation that will simply acknowledge Israel's right to exist, the four T's trade, travel, tourism, and technology, and what Saudi Arabia or these different uh, Islamic nations need to do is just recognize Israel's right to exist. Right. Now, Saudi Arabia, she starts benefiting from that, which all the analysts say she's the next one to enter into such an agreement. You can, you can understand why she's protesting the invasion. Right. Because she's benefiting exactly. uh, from Israel. And with all of that being said, now we have a potential second explanation <laughs> as to why Sheba and Dedan are protesting. This comes from Axios.com, July 20th, 2023. The title of this is Scoop. Saudi Arabia commits to allowing Israeli reps to attend UNESCO meeting. Most people Unreal. would, yeah, most people would look at this and say, "No big deal," but this is huge. This so, is huge. What does that article say? Saudi Arabia has signed an agreement with UNESCO in which it committed to allowing free access to delegations from all member states, including Israel for the World Heritage Committee's meeting in Riyadh in September. Two sources with knowledge of the issue told Axios. 
why it matters. <laughs> if Saudi Arabia, which does not have diplomatic relationships with Israel, upholds its commitment, it will be the first time representatives of the Israeli government officially and publicly enter the kingdom. So that's why it matters. It's huge. Um, if Saudi, just quoting this last line again, if Saudi Arabia, which does not have diplomatic relations with Israel, upholds its commitment, it will be the first time, uh, wow, <laughs> representatives of the Israeli government officially and publicly enter the kingdom. And so what you're, wow. what you're starting to see, Abraham Accords or not, no Abraham Accords, is the diplomatic relations between the two countries are starting to develop yep. and you're starting to see the stage being set as to why Sheba and Dedan or Saudi Arabia don't like it when Iran, Turkey, Russia, etc. invade the land of Israel. Right. What would you add to that? No, I mean, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. But, you know, again, once, if you wait long enough, yeah. the newspapers confirm the Bible. Right. And God is into details, apparently, because he sure he's given us all these details. Yes. He says, look for Israel to be reborn, look for Israel to become rich, yep. and look for Israel to enter into some sort of diplomatic relationship with Saudi Arabia or economic relationship. <laughs> wow. Um, going here to number three, the third uh, category here on our outline is another prophetic theme, which is anti-Semitism. We have this little graphic here um, connecting Revelation 12 and anti-Semitism. I hope folks, um, we don't have time to read it here, but we'll read today Revelation 12 at bare minimum verses 6 through 17 because that chapter really lays bare anti-Semitism, which yes. I'm going to define as the irrational hatred. Yes. Of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The nations of the earth in the end times will be smitten with this bug, so to speak, this theological yes. disease. And really what's behind it is the devil, as that chapter makes clear. Right. It's uh, Satan losing permanent access to heaven midway through the tribulation period. He plummets to the earth. He's got a short time left, three and a half years, and he tries to gobble up the woman. Yes. Clothed with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, Israel, in other words, so that the kingdom, which is predicted to come to the earth through Israel, can't come. Right. And so what I'm understanding related to prophecy is, is the hatred towards Israel is going to increase. It's not going to decrease. And in fact, the hatred won't even make any sense because it really isn't coming from human beings. It's coming right. from the fallen angelic realm. And so anything in the news related to just a hatred towards the Jews that makes no sense is is prophetically significant or stage setting. Right. So with that being said, you'll notice this article here from IsraelToday.com, July the 21st, 2023. It's talking about summer camp. <laughs> now, we're yes. in the middle of camp season here. Uh, we have some camps that we send our kids to. Gives us a little break, at least <laughs> over, the, over the summer. And uh, we got a lot of these Christian camps around. A lot to pick from here uh, where we live. And so it's wonderful. But the Palestinians have summer camps for the kids. 
And they're not learning uh, Bible verses. <laughs> they're not canoeing. And <laughs> they're not canoeing. Going to the Grand Canyon. No, or... no. It's And this is unbelievable to me. To me, it's child abuse, what's happening. Absolutely. But the title of this article is Palestinian Summer Camps to Kill Jews. Um, help, help, us, help us understand it because it... <laughs> When you understand what they're doing to the youth, I mean, little tiny kids, yeah. you understand yeah. why there's this uh, simmering hatred towards the Jewish people in the exactly. Middle East. Ultimately, Satan is behind it. Yes. But, but what's happening in these Palestinian uh, summer camps? All right. While school children around the world are enjoying the summer vacation through sports and entertainment, Palestinian children are being taught and trained how to fight Israel and Jews. The indoctrination and brainwashing of Palestinian children is not new. Palestinian leaders have been raising generation after generation on hatred for Israel and Jews. This incitement has been taking place in Palestinian kindergartens, schools, universities, mosques, the media, and even crossword puzzles for decades. Crossword puzzles. Yeah. That is why public opinion polls continue to show, unsurprisingly, that Palestinians endorse radical views and support terrorism against Israel. For more than a decade, the Iranian-backed Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas terror groups have been holding summer camps for thousands of school children throughout the Gaza Strip. These camps have served as a framework for inculcating an extreme ideology that glorifies jihad, or holy war, terrorism, and armed struggle against Israel, with the aim of liberating Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And stopping you just for a second, that last line there, liberating Palestine. Yes. So they call they call it by the wrong name. It's, that's not Palestine. Palestine. Yeah. That's the land of Israel. And what are they trying to liberate? Liberate it from who? Well, liberate it from the Jewish people. Exactly. Remove, displace the Jews from their land. And people say, well, you know, Israel just needs to give up a sliver. And then, uh, you know, we'll have peace breaking out in the Middle East. Well, that's not what these kids are being taught in no. these camps. They want to liberate everything. That's what it means here from the river to the sea. It's talking about the Jordan River. Right in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. We'll right. look at a map and see what's between the two. And what's between the two is the nation of Israel. Right. So they're not just interested in the Gaza Strip or the Golan Heights or the so-called West Bank or Judea and Samaria. They want everything. Exactly. And, and um, they're not going to be happy until the Jews are totally run out or displaced or killed uh, so they can't inhabit that part of the world at all. When God himself said that this land belongs to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What would you right. add to that? Well, I mean, it's, 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 as bad as that is, it's even worse because they, they're not just satisfied with getting rid of Israel. They want to absolutely wipe out every Jew, That's exactly every right. single Jew on the planet. Right? That's exactly right. And if you don't believe that this is true, look at what they're teaching these kids. Exactly in these so-called summer camps. Anyway, you All right, can continue. We'll pick it back up here. On July 8th, Hamas launched its summer camps for 2023 with the participation of more than 100,000 boys and girls. 
this year's summer camps are being held under the slogan, Shield of Jerusalem, implying that the terror group intends to use the children in the fight against Israel. The children are being trained to carry out terror attacks and serve as human shields in the jihad against Israel. They are being taught that they are being recruited to take part in the battle to liberate Jerusalem. Needless to say, the Palestinians do not recognize Jews' rights and history in Jerusalem. The summer camp director is, uh, in Rafa Muhammad Bahum said that the camps are part of Hamas's activities that focus on the younger generation due to its importance as the generation of liberation and victory. As in previous years, the summer camps focus on familiarizing the youngsters with various weapons, including the AK-47, sniper rifles, RPG launchers, mortars, and machine guns. Now, just stopping you for a second, what would you do if you sent your kid to camp and the brochure said, uh, we're going to familiarize your child with an AK-47, a, a sniper rifle, um, RPG launchers, mortars, and machine guns. What would you think about that? <laughs> uh, I, I would think that I would move somewhere else. Right? <laughs> exactly right. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'll just make a quick point. I no notice that they identify the AK-47, but notice what they don't say. They don't call it an assault weapon. There you go. Very interesting. Yes. All right, we'll pick it up where we left off here. The campers practice assembling and dissembling the weapons, holding them and using them, and also train in urban warfare and tunnel warfare. Some of the lessons are taught by masked members of Hamas's armed wing, the Is al-Din al-Qassam brigades, and some are even held in Hamas military bases. A boy at one of the camps gave a demonstration of tunnel warfare for Yunus al-Astal, a member of the Palestinian Legislative Council on behalf of Hamas, who toured the camps with other Hamas officials. At some of the camps, Israeli flags were spread on the ground so that the campers would step on them. Terrorists who carried out deadly attacks against Israelis are presented to the campers as role models and their portraits uh, feature in the camps and in camp activities. Darwish al-Gharavli, a leader for the Palestine Islamic Jihad, said during a graduation ceremony, these camps establish a generation that is aligned with the path of jihad and resistance, believing in this option and that Palestine is the central issue and fighting the Jews is an act of worship. Our jihad against this continues in all arenas. We assure our enemy that this generation will carry the banner and resist with all strength. The spokesperson for the Hamas summer camps, Abu Bilal, said that the camps are being held out of belief in the role of the young people and a sense of responsibility for the younger generation. He added that the young people have always been the ones to carry out armed operations and were, and were the fuel of the in, uh, intifadas and uprisings. Mm. This sweeping child abuse by Palestinians is ignored by the Western media, 
the United Nations and most politicians. So in the, on the news, these in, intifadas and uprisings, um, it's kids coming out of these camps that, exactly are, that right. are causing these things. I like this last sentence here, or I appreciate what they're saying. This sweeping child abuse, because yes. that's what this is, it is. Uh, by Palestinians is ignored by the Western media yep. and the United Nations and most politicians. In other words, you'll unless you watch a show like this, um, you'll probably never even hear that this kind of thing is going on. Exactly. And by the way, when our politicians talk about we need to you know, give money to the Palestinians, this is where the money goes. Exactly. Um, so this is a, uh, a hatred that will exist against the Jewish people because of this propaganda. And as much as it's shameful to t speak of these things, it's the kind of thing that God says would exist in the end times right. uh, as the prophetic scenario gets clearer. So um, I hope as we're going through this list, people will look at this in terms of a sort of a, uh, a, a combination of things. Uh, these things are coming together in concert. They're coming together in unison. It's not an isolated prophecy. Right. You've got Israel prospering, which God says would happen. You've got Saudi Arabia falling into prophetic alignment. And you have this sort of uh, irrational hatred for the physical descendants yeah. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, uh, uh, escalating, percolating, yes. growing even more. Would you add anything there? Uh, it's just satanic, isn't it? Satanic, yeah. Revelation 12. Well, with all that being said, let's go to uh, number four here. And this has to do with the Russia-China access. Um, you'll notice our map here where we have Russia or Rosh circled. We know from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that Russia is going to be one of the great invaders in the last days. But we also believe that China is is probably going to play some sort of role. Absolutely. You notice our chart here entitled Tribulation Judgments, and I'm speaking here of the sixth trumpet and the sixth golden bowl of wrath. Um, what does the sixth trumpet judgment indicate? Would you mind reading Revelation 9, verse 14, and then verse 16? All right, Revelation 9, 14, and 16. And 14 says, One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And verse 16, And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Now, with that being said, here in our Word document, would you mind reading, that's the sixth trumpet, which you just read. What is the sixth golden bowl of wrath judgment? Revelation 16, verse 12. Revelation 16, 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, here's my understanding of those two prophecies. Um, Revelation 9 is the beginning of a process Revelation 16 is the end of the process. Right. Uh, the beginning of the process is an army of 200 million east of the Euphrates River right. is summoned, and they begin to make their way into northern Israel to participate in the final battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And as they're making their way, by the time you get to Revelation 16, and we have a map here of the Euphrates, exactly where it is relative to the Tigris, the Euphrates River is supernaturally dried up by Satan. 
uh, to prepare the way for the, the kings of the east. And as yeah. the kings of the east are making their jaunt uh, or their march, their death march, into northern Israel, they wipe out a third of the human race right. in the process. And so one of the big questions is, well, who is the middle, who, who, is, who are the kings of the east? They've got to be some, some entity east of the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River is that geographical marker that delineates the far east or the orient from the middle east. Right. And so who is this giant army from the remote east that's coming into Israel in the last days? There's a lot of conjecture on it. Um, I'm of the persuasion of the late great Dr. John Walvoord in his Revelation commentary. He said all the way back in 1966, keep your eye on China. That's right. Uh, he felt China was the potential fulfillment of these prophecies. Uh, looking here at the Walvoord quote from his uh, Revelation commentary, would you mind just reading that last sentence? Absolutely. The rising power of parts of the Orient in our day in countries such as Japan, China, India, as well as lesser nations, makes such an invasion a reasonable prediction. So if, if we're right on this, and China could be the potential fulfillment of these prophecies. All of these um, newspaper stories that we've seen of recent times concerning the uh, belligerent, aggressive nature of China, uh, yeah. the the incursion of China into Western affairs, the the fact that you know even as we speak, we're you know, nervous about not if, but when China is going to invade Taiwan. Right. You know, they send a spy balloon over our country. Yes. No one seems to really do anything about it until it's after it's collected all of its information. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you get the feeling that our current administration financially is totally beholden to China. Here they are setting up police departments in our own country to keep track of their own citizens. Yes. And uh, here they are in Cuba, which is just 90 miles off the coast of Florida, um, setting up uh, military operations in a military-style base. It just kind of warms uh, your heart, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you look at all of this and you say, well, why, why is all of this happening? And the answer is we're in the prophetic season. That's why it's happening. That's exactly God right. God said China would be very belligerent and bellicose in the last days, and, and that's what we're seeing happening. Now, the first map we had put up, we don't have to put it up again, but we had Russia circled. Right, uh-huh. Now what I'm describing is the role of China in the end times. So if Russia is going to play a role and China is going to play a role in the end times, is it too far-fetched to expect Russia and China to start cooperating with each other? <laughs> to start I don't to think so. <laughs> developing alliances with each other. Yeah. In other words, don't just look for these nations to come into existence assuming their hostile attitude towards Israel. Look for them starting to, you know, get in bed with one another, cooperate with each other. That's and so right. this uh, art that's why we found this article from the americanmilitarynews.com, very interesting. July the 23rd, 2023, it says China intensifies military drills with Russia amid U.S. sanctions. So China and Russia are cooperating with each other militarily. That's right. 
And according to this article, this has been going on for a number of years. Um, so what does that brief paragraph say there? China and the armed forces of Vladimir Putin conducted six joint military exercises together last year, the most in data going back two decades. That accounted for two-thirds of all China's drills with foreign militaries in 2022, according to data compiled by the U.S. National Defense University's Center for the Study of Chinese Military Affairs. Uh, five of the exercises took place after Putin launched his invasion of Ukraine, the data show. Four of them were bilateral, where two were held with U.S. Adver adversaries, including Iran and Syria. Now, Iran is interesting. We have our map here, Gog Magog, and this time we have Persia or Iran circled. And apparently Iran is in the mix. Not a big surprise Not because all. Iran, like Russia, is one of the attackers in the Ezekiel 38-39 scenario. You throw in China into the mix, and obviously the, the big three, Russia, Iran, and China, would start to cooperate with each other. And, the, and then it throws Syria into the mix. Where exactly is Syria? Syria is on Israel's northern border. That's right. So you have Russia and Persia with a presence in Syria just on Israel's northern border. Bible prophecy indicates that they'll be part of the northern invaders in the last days. And then you have Russia and, uh, to, to a smaller extent, I guess, Persia and China in cahoots and cooperating with each other. The, the, the uh, Russia-China axis, going back, according to this uh, military news article, going back years and two years decades. and years, two decades. Yeah. And so, hmm. How much more evidence do you think we need, Brother Jim, that we're living in a unique messianic time period? Time to wake up. Yeah. And so we bring the Russia-China access, you know, to your attention. So Israel's becoming wealthy. Saudi Arabia is opening up diplomatic ties with Israel. Anti-Semitism is on the rise and the Russia-China access seems to be solidifying. Right. Um, let's move on here as time permits to number, what are we on here? Number five. number five, I think it is. And this has to do with global economy technology. We have on the screen there, Mark of the Beast technology. Um, technology just is moving <laughs> And I don't. I think when technology starts to move a particular direction, I don't know how you can slow it down or no, stop it's it. It's like a tidal wave. It just seems to be a, uh, a progressing exponentially yes. into what we would call the mark of the beast system, predicted in Revelation thirteen sixteen through eighteen. What what does Revelation thirteen sixteen through eighteen say? Revelation thirteen sixteen through eighteen, and he causes all the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So that's the end game. Um, at bare minimum, what is this talking about? Number one, 
a global economy because clearly it talks about rich, poor, small, great, free slaves. When you, you know, do a word study on that, it's talking about global, global influence. Number one, a global economy. Number two, there's no cash because they're, you know, buying and selling based on an insignia or a mark. And if they can't get this mark and, then you can't participate in society. And number right. three, it's predicting um, a technological sophistication. I mean, a, a prophecy like this, you know, for the last 2,000 years, you know, you go back 50 years or less, 100 years or less, a few decades or less, and people scratch their heads and say, how could this kind of system, Mark of the Beast system, happen? That's true. Well, no one second guess is that anymore because we're because technology has progressed to the point here we are where the scenario concerning the mark of the beast system is credible now we're not in the mark of the beast system yet because we don't have the beast but we're sort of moving certainly moving in that direction so with that being said here's a a few articles that have come out recently uh this one's from the daily mail dot com july 17th 2023 it's describing what's happening in australia commonwealth bank name of a bank scraps over-the-counter cash withdrawals and deposits at many branches across australia they don't even have um over-the-counter situations where you can you know withdraw withdraw and deposit cash just they've just completely phased that out. Well, that's what Bi- the Bible says would happen in the end times. That's true. Um, what does that article say? The Commonwealth Bank has opened a number of cashless branches with customers no longer able to access their money over the counter. Let me, let me stop you there for just a second. Um, no longer able, meaning they've been forced into this. That's exactly Sorry right. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's right. Teller cash transactions are not available at branches, including Commonwealth Bank Place in the center of Sydney, along with the nearby South Evely, Barangaroo, Penrith, and University of Sydney, which the bank now calls specialist centers. Daily Mail Australia also understands some specialist center branches in Brisbane and Melbourne no longer permit over-the-counter cash withdrawals and deposits. But many Aussies are outraged by the Commonwealth Bank's decision to open more cashless branches without over-the-counter cash withdrawal and deposits. Hey, what happened to our cash and the ability to deposit, withdraw? We're outraged. Well, we don't care. Uh, we just set up a bank here and a bank there and a bank over here that doesn't give you that option anymore. And we never took a vote. We just decided to impose this. So apparently this is the direction of this um, Commonwealth Bank. And I'm here to tell you, Brother Jim and folks listening, that the whole name of the game for the globalists is to phase out cash. That's true. Because as long as we're doing our buying um, in cash, they can't keep track of what we're doing. But the moment everything becomes digitized is the moment there's a paper trail on everybody. And they can see uh, what your values are, where you spend your money, what causes you believe in, what kind of books you read, uh, what kind of churches you financially support. And 
once that information becomes available at their fingertips, that becomes the basis for the social credit score system. Yeah. Where they will start eventually denying people the right to participate in society who are living a lifestyle that they deem politically incorrect. That's right. You know, you're not planetary friendly um, in your last purchase, so your opportunities in life start to shrink. That's called the social credit score system, something that cannot happen until you move, till they move us in a cashless uh, direction. Right. So Commonwealth Bank, Australia, in some of its locations, phasing out cash. Here's the big question. Well, what are they going to replace cash with? Well, the next two articles that we have, you know, help us in that regard. Yes. Um, here is something that WorldCoin CEO just said. World ID is coming. And look at this expression, whether you like it or not. Right. July 20th, 23. Help us with that article. The CEO of WorldCoin has warned that a global digital ID system will be ushered in for citizens around the world, whether they like it or not. <laughs> Essentially, the company has created a database that links digital cash or central bank digital cur currencies with a digital identity system. According to WorldCoin's executives, World ID, or something like it, will soon be mandatory for anyone who wishes to partake in regular society. Let's stop you there just for a second. Mandatory. Mandatory. For anyone who wishes to partake in regular society. Is that not what... <laughs> Revelation 13, it's, 16 through 18 says. what it sounds like to me. You can't buy or sell. Anyway. Yeah. World ID uses iris scanners that require a person to have their eyes scanned to prove their identity. And while that idea may sound like a dystopian nightmare that would never catch on, people in several southern European countries, notably Spain and Portugal, are simply itching to give away their iris biometrics as proof of identity and, and right to cryptocurrency transfer wallet. If reports are to be believed, the uptake in Spain, where the scheme first became available a year ago, is better than elsewhere. 150,000 participants in total have signed up in Spain. 20,000 new ones each day. Plans are already in place to install a number of orb scanners in Barcelona, with more cities to follow. Portugal is not far behind with 120,000 participants. Germany is said to also be warming up to the project ever since it started expanding two months ago. According to Alex Blania, mm. digital ID will be so prevalent that it will become inevitable. There will be no escaping the requirement to verify your identity if you want to take part in society, access your own money, buy food, etc. Lania argues that the progress in linking digital cash to a biometric ID is due to the recent emergence of AI technology. 
and he isn't predicting that global ID and digital cash are the technology of the distant future, he asserts that it will be here within a couple of years. Mm. All in all, some 2 million biometric credentials are now operated by WorldCoin. Something like World ID will eventually exist, meaning that you will need to verify you're human on the Internet, whether you like it or not. Okay, WorldCoin CEO Alex, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, Belania, says you're going to be in this system whether you like it or not. It's already catching on in Spain, Portugal, yep. number of places. Apparently, they're trying to roll together um, CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, with a digital identity system, all mixed together with an iris scanner. Yep. And this is your world ID. And if you don't, if you don't uh, fall in line, you can't participate in the global economy. Um, does this, Brother Jim, push us further away from the mark of the beast system, or more toward? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> more towards it. Absolutely. Sorry to sorry to ask the yeah. the obvious. Let's let's try to sneak in at least one more article here on this uh, mark of the beast system. This one comes from the uh, LifeSiteNews dot com. Top economists. <clears throat> Economist says central bankers are planning a CBDC currency implant under the skin. Right. Uh, it's like these guys get up in the morning, read Revelation 13, <laughs> and is. say, let's, let's come up with something that yes. approximates as close as we can to what the Bible says about the end times. Anyway, help us. But this is from uh, news, uh, com. excuse me, July 12th, 2023. A prominent German economist says central banks plan to concretize uh, central bank digital currencies in the form of microchips implanted under the skin, a technology that would enable absolute government control over personal finances. I was taught by a central banker that the CBDCs look like a small grain of rice that they want to put under your skin, said Professor Richard Werner, who devised the now widely used and, according to Werner, abused bank practice of quantitative easing in a recent interview with Ivor Cummings. According to Werner, in the initial phase, CBDCs will be introduced through phone-based apps, as other forms of digital currency are currently used. He went on to say he further predicted that central banks will use a carrot-and-stick approach to persuade people to adopt CBDCs under the skin, starting with generating economic crisis that will introduce, or excuse me, induce a demand for universal basic income. Werner speculated that banks will claim that they need the latest technology, the CBDC chip implant, in order to run the UBI efficiently. He pointed out that the bankers have deliberately delayed their agenda since the technology needed for launch was ready since 2015. Mm. General Manager Augustine Karstens of the Bank for International Settlements has admitted this, saying that a central bank digital currency would give central banks, quoting, absolute control on the rules and regulations governing CBDC use and the technology to enforce that, as Cummings showed in a video clip. 
Cummings pointed out that while implanted CBDCs may sound fanciful or conspiracy theorish to some, thousands of people have already consented to having microchips implanted under their skin to facilitate financial transactions and access to select locations, most notably in Sweden. Late last year, the first British man was implanted with a bank card microchip. So this really is something that moves us aggressively into the mark of the beast system. Absolutely. Um, you'll notice this expression here, Brother Jim, universal basic income, uh, UBI. Basically, that's the idea that we're going to give to the entire world a, a bare minimum standard of living. Right. And this is part of the United Nations SDG Sustainable Development Goals, which is, is the, they say, by the year 2030, we're going to get rid of hunger and poverty. Yeah. Well, this is how they're going to do good it. Good luck. And, of course, um, good luck, of course, because Jesus said the poor you'll have with he you sure all. He sure did. I'm so glad you said that. But they're going to try to do it through Marxism. Right. Um, a guaranteed basic income for the entire world. And then they go a step further and they say, we really can't do that without these central bank digital currencies. And by the way, they're going to be technologically uh, so small as a grain of rice that they're going to go beneath or underneath your skin. And uh, by the way, we've had this technology to do this since 2015. We're just waiting for the right time to roll all this out. Yep. Right now, we're using sort of a carrot and stick approach, getting people closer and closer to the end goal by persuading people through apps and, you know, more what I would call technological grooming. They're moving us, you know, in the direction of what they ultimately want to roll out, carrot and stick style. And then they say, we're just waiting for the right crisis to bring this into existence. Mm -hmm. Meaning, are they waiting for the crisis, or are they going to create the crisis create <laughs> to bring this into existence? And by the way, in case you think this is some kind of you know conspiracy theorist, as they call it here, um, we've already done this to people in Sweden. This little right uh, uh, grain of rice, strand of rice underneath the skin, and we've done it to a man in Britain. And so, coming to a theater near you yeah. is really the point. What would you add to that? Well, I, I just, you know, I think words are important. And when the person who's promoting this uses the illustration of a carrot and a stick, if you've ever actually <laughs> seen that illustration, the carrot, the, the stick with the carrot on it is in front of a dumb donkey. There you go. So what they're saying is they're looking at us as dumb donkeys. They're just going to stick a carrot on a stick for us. Yeah, we're just kind of these uh, plebs lemmings. Or, or lemmings, uh, serfs. Yeah. And we're, we're all here to go along with their agenda. They know what's so best for us. They, they do, yeah. uh, at least in their minds. Now, God, of course, has something different to say. Thank but, God but, for that. Uh, but the truth of the matter is this um, Mark of the Beast system, you know, whether you have cashless in Australia whether it's what the world coin CEO is saying or whether what this economist is saying, um, we're moving aggressively, you know, Absolutely in the direction right. of a, of a kind of scenario that the Bible anticipates for the end of the age. So I hope people have sort of enjoyed what we've done so far in our prophecy update. We've seen Israel's wealth, um, that's happening. Saudi Arabia is fitting into prophetic orbit. Uh, anti-Semitism is on the rise. It's even being financed through 
child abuse education. That's right. The Russia-China access is in place, and the Mark of the Beast uh, technology is, is on the rise. So you'll notice from our outline there that we did not, for the sake of time, have a chance to do issues numbers six, seven, and eight. So we're going to pick those up in our next broadcast together. And so as we close out today, Brother Jim, we just have a few um, infomercials that we want to share with people. In fact, um, we've got something far more important than an infomercial. Uh, can you read Titus chapter 2, verse 13? Yes, let me get over there. I know I have it. I should know <laughs> it by heart, right? Yes. Let's see here. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Here it is if you're having some trouble it. locating it. All right, folks, we love to end on a high note. We need a high note today, don't we? Yes. So Titus 2.13, uh, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So there it mentions hope in the midst of all of this bad news. Um, our hope is not in seeing this world turn around. No. Our hope is in the promise that Jesus any moment is coming back to rescue the church yes. uh, from the wrath of God before the wrath of God hits planet Earth. And so, you know, as we like to say and has been said by many people, things are not falling apart. You know, they're actually falling into place. Amen. And the Amen. world, quoting the late uh, Adrian Rogers, is actually growing gloriously dark. Because God said this type of scenario has to first envelop the earth, right. you know, in order for the good news uh, to break forth the rapture of the church. And after that, seven years later, the coming kingdom, you know, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we would encourage anybody that's watching or listening to place their personal faith in Jesus yes. alone for their salvation, which they can do right now as Amen. I'm speaking and be tied into this great promise. Yes. Let me remind you of the Andy Woods Ministries app. Um, go to the App Store and uh, find this. Just type in Andy Woods Ministries into your search engine. And we're uploading all of our teaching and our pastor's point of view shows onto that app. So we have that available for you. We also have pastor's point of view available to folks in podcast format. Just go to wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, type in Andy Woods Ministries into the search engine and you'll be able to receive pastor's point of view in podcast format. I want to remind you of a conference that's coming up. Lickety split here. Uh, August 25th and 26th in Rockwall, Texas, the Until He Comes conference hosted by Tom Hughes of Hope for Our Times. I'm one of many speakers at this conference. We would encourage people to uh, go to that or be aware of that. Um, also, I want to make people aware of the Andy Woods Ministries newsletter. Just go to andywoodsministries.org. And on the homepage, there's a conspicuous way to sign up for our newsletter. So the show Amen. notes that we're reading from will show up in your inbox. I'm also the president of a little school, or it's actually becoming a bigger school as, we, <laughs> Thank God. as, uh, as we're continuing here. But it's... Uh, Chafer Theological Seminary. Go to www.chafer.edu if you want to be theologically trained uh, to to be a, a to rightfully teach, rightfully divide God's word. Amen. Make you aware of that. And last but certainly not least, really excited to announce this. Uh, we announced it last week, and we're announcing it again this week. We have our Sugarland Bible Church. Uh, third annual 
Can you believe it? Wow. Prophecy Conference coming up February 23rd and 24th. February 23rd, which is a Friday evening, is going to be a banquet at nearby Sugar Creek Country Club. And then the conference will run all day February 24th. We would invite people to stick around on the 25th for our regular Sunday service as we're going to have our prophecy speakers presenting during those services as well. But the speakers are going to be Olivier Melnick, uh, Russ Miller, uh, Dr. David Reagan, and myself, Lev Shalow. Once again, they've been with us a couple years, and now they're here for the third year. We'll be leading in uh, worship and song. And this is kind of a unique conference. It's called From Flood to Final Days. I like that. And we're trying to tie together the doctrine of the creation God's uh, speaking and everything supernaturally came into existence and he spoke again and he brought global judgment, how that's a supernatural event or events. And those in scripture are parallel in many ways to God speaking yet once again and the fire of the end times uh, will transpire. So from flood to final days, linking creation to the end times. That's why one of the new speakers that we have here is uh, a gentleman by the name of Russ Miller, who's a creation scientist, who's going to give a defense of the global flood and also recent creation. Of course, David Reagan is going to be with us. He's an expert on the end times. Olivier Melnick's been with us many times. He's done some wonderful exposés on anti-Semitism. I'm going to be bringing some messages on the end times. Um, the registration page we're hoping is going to be is going to go live on the Sugarland Bible Church website the first week in August. So watch our um, uh, registration page so that you can sign up for the banquet and the conference. Write that date uh, down. Write that date down and. That's going to be, and please be in prayer for this event. Anything you'd like to add, Brother Jim, before we close off today? I just think this has been a great, uh, a great uh, PPOV today. Well, praise the Lord. Great, great information, and God's even better and greater than what's been going on in the world, isn't he? Amen. And we certainly need that perspective, don't we, Amen, today? Amen, brother. Well, until next week, um, thank you for uh, liking, praying for, subscribing to, and sharing Pastor's point of view. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless.